Good morning. Greetings in Jesus' name this morning. Just realizing that my notes aren't in my Bible where I thought they were. But I do have them. Plan this morning to do as I said I may and continue <clears throat> looking at the Sermon on the Mount. A couple of weeks ago, brought a message on the Beatitudes. Uh, it's a message that in many ways was not much more than an overview of the Beatitudes and the principles there. I do want to acknowledge this morning that thanks to Brother Paul, I've gleaned a number of thoughts on the Sermon on the Mount from a series of messages that John D. Martin preached, that he, Paul, graciously forwarded a recording of those messages to me, and I've been listening to them. And so... uh, a few places along the way I want to acknowledge some things that uh, sharing that he said and some of what I'll say this morning isn't directly from him but it was spurred by my thoughts were spurred somewhat by his thoughts we see throughout the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus was giving new teachings to the people who were listening, to the Jewish people. What he said, a lot of it was new. It was new thoughts. It was new concepts that were opposed to what mankind's natural beliefs and tendencies and inclinations may be. And these were teachings that again and again went above and beyond what the law of Moses required. Just as an illustration of the change that these things were that Jesus was bringing, think about some of the things in the Beatitudes that Jesus said, if you experience this, you're blessed. And to a lot of people, to the natural man, you'd consider some of those things more of a curse than a blessing. And while that may be difficult for us to grasp and to wrap our minds around how something like persecution can be a blessing, We need to realize that Jesus was giving new principles, and these principles were principles of the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom that his ministry was bringing into effect. We can look in the Old Testament, and we can see the the working of God from, from day one as he worked to after man fell into sin, God continually worked to bring a chosen group of people out 
who lived according to his standards. And we see that in his people, the Israelites. And we see how he he gave the law through Moses. And that law was to set them apart from the surrounding nations. They were to be a people whose way of life and the rules that they lived by reflected God's character. Reflected closer to what God's original plan was for man before the fall. But the Old Testament law and the provisions that it made for God's people was still incomplete. And one of the greatest things that it lacked was a provision for a changed heart. Those people in the Old Testament, they had the law to guide them, but they were still living with a carnal heart, a heart of stone. And throughout the Sermon on the Mount, we see Jesus bringing new thoughts and new principles that have to do with that change of heart. When Nicodemus came to Jesus at night and asked him about his teachings, Jesus told him in John 3.3 that except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That that concept of being born again was, was new to Nicodemus, and he had trouble understanding it. And I think sometimes maybe we struggle a little bit with what it means to be born again, what it means to really have a changed heart. But I want to notice there in what Jesus said. He said that you cannot see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. And I think that's one reason why these principles and the Beatitudes and throughout the Sermon on the Mount can seem difficult for people to grasp and to accept. Because to fully understand them, we have to have that changed heart. We have to be born again. Like to understand things like the blessing of being persecuted and insulted. To see the blessing of these things, we need to look at them through eyes that have experienced the new birth. So I think that when Jesus said that you have to be born again to see the kingdom of God, there's, there's, two, there's two aspects to that. One is we have to be born again to be in the kingdom of God, but we have to be born again to, to really grasp and understand the principles of the kingdom. All of us were born into a natural body. And we were born as part of the kingdom of the world, which is Satan's kingdom. Satan came and corrupted God's creation. 
the rule of Satan's kingdom is to promote self. It's about me. If it feels good, do it. Don't tread on me, etc. And by the way, have you noticed how many of those orange license plates there are around that say don't tread on me? It's, they're everywhere. It's, it's a mentality of I'm in control. Those are the rules of Satan's kingdom. Rules of self-love, self-promotion. But the rules of God's kingdom are much different. God is a God of love. He's a God of mercy. And we can see throughout history, throughout Scripture, how God extends grace to those who don't deserve it. And He extends love and grace to those who don't return love and service to Him. In these rules of the kingdom, we find in the Sermon on the Mount, are to teach us how to live so that our lives reflect that character of God. And that's why when people truly live out the teachings of Jesus that we find here, that people take notice. They realize that there's something different about people who are living that way. And it's because it's contrary to to the natural human tendency. If we go out and live according to our natural human tendencies, we fit in. But when we live according to God's principles, we stand out. Now these thoughts introduce me to the passage that I'd like to look at this morning. You can turn to Matthew 5. And I'd like to read verses 13 through 16. Matthew five thirteen through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt hath lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid, neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. These are very familiar verses. I was in grade school, I'm pretty sure, when we memorized this passage. Third, fourth grade, something like that. And probably most of us have memorized this passage. At least it's very familiar. Very familiar sayings. But I'd like us to consider who is Jesus talking about here when he says that ye are you 
are the salt of the earth. A lot of times we look at this passage and our tendency tends to be on the salt. What's that mean? What is it? But I'd like you to consider who's, who he is addressing here. Obviously, first of all, he was addressing his disciples and all those others who had gathered that day to hear him. But I believe that you has a deeper meaning than just those that were gathered there that day. I believe that when Jesus said that you are the salt of the earth, he was referring to all who would accept the teachings that he was giving. All who would become a part of the kingdom of God. In other words, those who are the salt of the earth are those who accept and practice what Jesus was teaching here in these verses. That's you and I today if we accept what Jesus says. Now, thinking about salt. Salt is something that we generally use in fairly small quantities, but yet it has an extremely noticeable effect. Probably all of you ladies that are cooks have put something on the table before, and you start eating it and you say, oh, I miss putting the salt in here. It's noticeable. It, it makes a, that little bit of salt makes a tremendous difference. Without it, food is more bland and less flavorful. Salt also is an essential mineral for our bodies to exist. If you didn't take in any salt, your body would cease to function. Too much isn't good, though. Salt also is a preservative. In the past, before the age of refrigeration, salt was a very important item to preserve food for future use. So that's kind of what natural salt is as we think of it. So Jesus here is comparing the effect that the witness of those who join his kingdom will have on the world with the effect that salt has in food to help flavor it, make it more palatable, and to preserve it. The presence of those who belong to the kingdom and who abide by these principles will be noticeable to a watching world. found it interesting in talking about this concept in one of the messages by John D. Martin. He shared in his, from his experiences of answering phone calls for the CAM Billboard Evangelism work. And he said that many times when he has talked to callers about some of these principles 
of Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. He has had people say things like, you know, well, you, you can't live like that. And, he's, and he said that they've said, well, the only people I know that live like that are the Amish and the Mennonites. Now, that's not to say that Amish and Mennonites are the only ones striving to live by these teachings. Or to say that we as conservative Anabaptists have it all together and have it figured out. But what it is saying is that when people live according to the Sermon on the Mount, according to what Jesus taught, people will notice people notice that we're living according to a different set of laws and often they notice because we stand out and that brings a certain level of respect and appreciation not always. Jesus said, blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Sometimes it brings opposition. But we have Jesus' promise that even if it brings opposition, we're blessed. So our witness of living by another standard other than the standard of the world makes us the salt of the earth. People will notice. And hopefully they recognize that it's not just because we're living different, but they recognize the principles behind the way we live are God's principles but Jesus also said here that if the salt loses its savor if it loses its saltiness it's good for nothing salt pure salt can't lose its saltiness but I read an account in a commentary of a person who testified to being somewhere over in the area of the Dead Sea, I think it was, and there was a natural salt deposit where salt had been mined, apparently somewhat for maybe centuries. And he said on the outer edge of that deposit, where it was exposed to rainwater, you could break a chunk off and it had very little saltiness to it. Deeper in was the real thing where it hadn't had the salts flushed out. Now that is an, ex an example of totally pure salt. But it was probably the type of salt that the people that Jesus was speaking to were familiar with.
So losing our saltiness is obviously a bad thing because Jesus says that if we lose our saltiness, we're good for nothing other than to be thrown out and trodden under the foot of men. And I believe that to lose our saltiness as as believers today, to lose our saltiness means to fail to follow Jesus' teachings that he lays out for us. It seems that so many today that go by the name of Christian have neglected to follow all of the teachings of Jesus Christ. Or they've watered them down or made exceptions for, well, we don't have to do this because of that or don't always have to do that or only when it's convenient or only when it makes sense to our human thinking. Jesus was instituting rules for the kingdom of heaven, for God's kingdom. And to be a part of that kingdom, we have to play by the rules. If we claim the name of Christ but fail to embrace his commands, we've lost our savor. In other words, the world's going to look on and we're going to say that we're Christians, but yet they're going to see very little difference between the way they're living and the way we're living. And our lives are going to, at that point, fail to have the effect of seasoning and preserving in the world around us. The name and the teaching of our Lord will not be respected and honored if people are looking on and seeing no difference. They're not going to be attracted to the church. Maybe that's why so many churches in our society have moved towards an entertainment style of worship to try to attract people, to try to make it appealing. But you know, I'm convinced that when we live according to Jesus' teachings, we become attractive to the world around us. Another thought from John D. Martin, thinking about coming, becoming a Christian and coming into the kingdom of God. is we tend to put a focus on becoming a Christian as a way of attaining heaven and avoiding hell. But really, that is a self-centered motivation. It's a reason and it's a good reason to be a Christian. But we need to realize that the decision to become a Christian, the, the the decision to surrender to Christ isn't about self, but it's about surrendering to Christ and His kingdom and the rules of that kingdom. A kingdom that has been set up to demonstrate God's original intent for mankind. God with 
with Jesus' teachings, God was trying to show us His will for us to live by. He wasn't trying to set up some hard standard for us, for our lives, that, that you have to do these difficult things and to not fit in with society so that I'll be pleased with you. But rather, it was God giving us His way to follow so life would be better. We need to recognize that these are God's rules as opposed to Satan's rules. And that's why they seem backwards to people from the world. That's why to our natural mind they seem backwards so often. If we're going to be a part of the kingdom, we need to follow those rules and be a part of the witness to a sinful world to what God's will is for mankind. We can't be in God's kingdom and ignore His rules. If we do, if we try to, we'll bring shame to the kingdom rather than honor. And we'll have lost our saltiness. Moving on, he next uses light as a metaphor for what we should be as members of God's kingdom. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Cities are known for their light. You've probably all seen a picture of a big city like New York City at night. And it's just thousands of points of light scattered out across the city. We've all seen light pollution from a city. In the same way, we as believers are to be shining forth in the darkness of the sinful world. Light is not something that is to be hidden. Light is not easy to hide. Light is more powerful than darkness. My dad tells the story of when he was a little boy living on the outskirts of Washington, D.C. during World War II and having air raid drills at night where they had to cover all of the windows to block any light from shining out the windows so that if there was an, an attempted air attack on the city, the target would be hard to identify because there would be no telltale light shining forth. It takes a deliberate attempt to block light. When you have a light source, it takes a deliberate attempt or it will shine forth and be evident to those around. In the same way, the light of the Lord will shine forth and be evident in our lives for following the teachings he gives and the light becomes evident as we do good deeds in the sight of our fellow men it says here we don't just go out and try to do good deeds for show but when we follow these teachings 
There are things in our lives that are going to be recognized by those around us. In our obedience to God's laws, we're going to create these good works that in turn are going to bring glory to God. People will see and understand or else they'll see and they'll ask questions. Why do you do this? Or why don't you do that? And it's an opportunity to bring honor and glory to God. It also should be no surprise to us that we're called to be the light of the world. Because it was prophesied that Jesus was to come as a light to the world, specifically to the Gentiles. Three verses, Isaiah 42, 6. I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness, and will hold thine hand, and will keep thee, and give thee for a light of the people, for a light of the Gentiles. Speaking of Christ, a light to the Gentiles. Isaiah 49, 6, and he said, Is it a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel? I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles that thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth. Isaiah 63, And the Gentiles shall come to thy light and kings to the brightness of thy rising. Speaking there of the work of of Jesus Christ. It also says that about Jesus coming, that upon those living in the land in a land of darkness, a light has shone. Jesus was that light. But Jesus ministered here on this earth for approximately three years. Now today, who is that light? It's us. Us who are following his teachings that he gave. That's why it's so important for us to know and to obey all of the teachings of our Lord. If we disobey, if we don't hold them with a high importance, we bring reproach rather than shining a light into a dark world. I think that we fail many times to recognize how dark and sinful the world is. We live in a fairly sheltered environment here in our communities. We live in a land of freedom where Christianity has been taught and it's it's known. The Bible is known. But even in our land, there is so much darkness. People have no clue what God's real intent for mankind is. It's crucial for God's people to be shining forth that light into the dark world that we live in. And we see in verse 16 the reason. 
that God would be glorified. It's not about us. It's not about our church. It's about God. Don't you believe that if the church would consistently obey all of Jesus' teachings, that the world would take notice? When I say the church, I'm talking about all who claim the name of Christ. God's way is good. It's the best plan for mankind. But there's no way to demonstrate that that other than complete obedience. When things are done God's way, His light shines forth and our saltiness will season the world around us and give others a desire to be a part, to know more about the kingdom of God. So I challenge all of you, as you look at Jesus' teachings, not just here in the Sermon on the Mount, but throughout the Gospels, I challenge you to take them seriously and to endeavor to apply them to your life in a wholehearted way. Some of them sometimes seem like they don't make good sense. Or they might be hard to put into practice. Like when Jesus said to love your enemies. That's difficult a lot of times. But I'm also convinced that if we obey God's perfect plan, God's going to be glorified and there's going to be a blessing in it for us. So this week, my challenge is for all of us to go forth with the aim of full obedience to Christ's commands, to his teachings. Not just so we can experience a blessing, but so that our light and our saltiness will attract others and will bring honor and glory to God. May he bless you as you serve him this week.